right. So if you guys are wondering why I'm up here, I am too. Um, Levi's out of town this week, and he had told me last week, he said, he sprung this on me pretty last minute. He said, you know, Mikey, I wouldn't have asked you to be up there if I hadn't already asked everyone else and no one else came through. Um, <laughs> so, but here I am. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have seen my business card out there. It's, it's out there on the table and um, nowhere on there does it say the word pastor. Uh, and I actually had petitioned for a while to have it say assistant to the regional pastor, but they did, it didn't go. Um, so anyways, this is a practice and grace for you guys today as I'm up here. So bear with me, all right? But, and I hate, I hate, I'm going to start on a little bit of a, a negative note, but man, the enemy, he comes in like so many different ways, right? Uh, and this week, he hit me with something that I couldn't have anticipated, which was productivity of all things. Like, I, I was getting stuff done that's been on my to-do list for like a year. I, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced what I'm going to refer to right now as like a noble distraction, like something that seems like you're doing good, but really it's stopping you from doing something better. Like, that's what was happening. I, I went to the DMV this week. Like, that, that's how deep I was getting in this. Like, I was all over the place. Um, but I have a lot to make it through today. Uh, Levi really set me up for failure on this one. But I'm going all the way through 1 Samuel today, uh, and there's a lot that happens in there. So I'm going to dive right into it. And at the beginning of our story here, we're, we're going to be looking at uh, Samuel. He's heading out. He's told he's got to go find, he's got to go anoint the son of Jesse. He doesn't know which son, but he has to go anoint a son of Jesse. And so he heads, uh, he heads to Jesse's house, and he's, uh, Jesse's got eight sons, and he's, he's working his way down through all the sons. And when he gets there, right away, he sees the eldest son, Eliab. And Eliab's described in the Bible, he's like this tall guy, he's this tall, handsome guy. And honestly, uh, Samuel's there, he's looking for the guy who's going to take King Saul's throne, right? And, and as, he's, as we're hearing this description of Eliab, I can't help but think that Samuel sees a little bit of Saul in Eliab. Like, he's described in a really similar way to how we see Saul, uh, King Saul described earlier. But, I mean, he's the firstborn. He's taller than the rest of the sons. Uh, he's, he seems like the obvious choice. But God puts this message on, on Samuel's heart that is, is really beautiful, and it's, it's a really good uh, precursor to what we're, we're going to see in the life of of Daniel as we, uh, or of David, sorry, as we move through this message. Um, and if you guys wouldn't mind all standing up as we read the Word of God here, I'm, I'm going to read it for you, but I just would like you to stand as we read through 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, and I know this is a quick one. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. All right, if you wouldn't mind having a seat. Okay, so when I was a kid, I was a huge fan of professional wrestling. Every Monday night, I mean, I was wrestling with my sisters even to just get the remote from their hands so I could put on Monday Night Raw so I could tune in and I could watch wrestling. Uh, and, I mean, they were watching Boy Meets World. I don't, did you guys, this is a total sub note here. You guys remember Pip, the picture-in-picture? Picture? I don't know if any of you guys are old enough to remember this, but, like, they had the whole screen, but then they could put a little tiny screen in the corner, and I would, like, I'd get up right on the TV just so I could watch it. Whatever I could do to get it in, right? Like, I was trying to take in as much as I could. 
and uh, I had the action figures. I was having my own matches and stuff. Like, I was all over the place, but I wanted more. I wanted more. Like, I wasn't satiated with the few hours of, of broadcasting I was getting every week. And then one day, I stumbled across this Mecca, and it was only a block from my house. It was the Video City. And, and down, down, in the downstairs of this Video City, uh, there was this little corner, this little dark corner, not the, not the one with the curtains. I didn't go in there. But there was this other little corner, uh, the sports section. And even smaller section within the sports, there was wrestling films. And I didn't even know this was a thing. I didn't know I could even rent wrestling movies. And so I, I started burning my way through all these through all these films until I came across one that quickly became my favorite. It was Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan. More specifically, it was WrestleMania three, 1987, uh, Pontiac Silverdome. There was 93,000 people crammed inside the Pontiac Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan to see Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan. And now, I know you guys didn't come here today to hear about my obsession with professional wrestling. I know. Um, but I'm sure if you've spent any time in the Bible, you've, you've seen that there's a lot of biblical themes that still exist in our storytelling today. I mean, a lot of the great films and, and movies and, and, and TV shows and books that we read today are built off the backs of the biblical writers. There's a lot of themes that stay true to this day. And this story is like no exception. Uh, and while Hulk Hogan was no mere shepherd, as we're going to dive into today, but I mean, the odds were certainly stacked against him. He, he had these unsurmountable odds against him. He's got Andre the Giant, this guy who's 500 pounds, seven foot four, this absolute massive giant. I mean, even this guy's, this guy's appetite was absolutely legendary. He's known that he could sit down and eat 12 steaks and 15 lobsters in one sitting. Like, that's incredible. I can't even imagine it. Um, but on top of all of that, he had this unrivaled, undefeated streak. It was 15 years long at this point. Uh, no one had ever accomplished anything even remotely close to this. Uh, and people knew not to get in his way, not to get in his path. And he was this feared warrior, right? And as a matter of fact, Hulk Hogan didn't even want to battle this guy. He, he knew that he was outside of his range too. But he had no interest in fighting him. He didn't show up looking for a fight. But there's this moment, and I'm going to spare you guys a lot of the details. I'm giving you a really expedited version of this because I'm not going to talk about Bobby the Brain Heenan's role and turning him, Andre the Giant against Hulk Hogan. But there's this moment where Andre rips the shirt off of uh, Hulk Hogan's back, and with that he rips the cross off of his neck as well. And it's this ultimate moment of disrespect. Like Hulk Hogan feels incredibly disrespected in this moment. And when they sat down to sign the contract for this fight, uh, there's this moment that has stuck with me ever since. Hulk Hogan delivered this line that just like sent shivers down my spine, and I rewatched it this week, and it still got me. He says, as far as I'm concerned, this contract isn't signed with ink. It is signed with blood. And that gets me every time. Like, I was so excited. So anyways, we're in the Pontiac Silverdome, right? Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, 93,000 people crammed inside under the hot lights. They're watching this thing go down. And Hulk Hogan pulls off what up until that point was seen as impossible. I mean, he lifts the giant above his head and crashes him to the mat. If you haven't seen this, it's a, yeah, I should have put the video up, honestly. Like, when he gets on, Andre the Giant like upside down, you're like, I don't even know. Like, you shouldn't see a body that size at this angle. It doesn't make any sense. But what happened was he crashed down this undefeated streak, and with that... Uh, he sort of cements 
Hulk Hogan cements himself as one of the greatest superstars of all time, and on top of that, one of my biggest heroes when I was a kid. And I promise this is going to come full circle, and I'm going to get back to the Bible for a second, but I just want to set that up. Um, so after Samuel, Sam, we're back to Samuel now. He makes his way uh, down the line of Jesse. He's looked at seven of his sons, and uh, none, of them are, none of them are reaching out to him. None of them are really fitting the bill. And so he asks Jesse, he says, hey, do you have any more? You got any other sons? Because, um, of course, everyone has more than seven sons, right? And uh, he goes, yeah, I've got one more. It's, you know, it's my son David. He's the shepherd. He tends to the sheep. He's out in the field right now. And uh, so Samuel says, hey, go get him, please. Like, I'm not even going to have a seat until you come back. And so he calls out to David. David comes in, and uh, when he does, the Lord puts this message on, on Samuel's heart. He says, rise and anoint him, for he is the one, which is just as cool as a uh, contract written in blood, I think, to, to know that he is the one. That's pretty amazing. So Samuel, he pours the oil over David's head, uh, David the lowly shepherd, right? And we read that from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord was with him. And that's incredibly important. Uh, as we fast forward a bit, we come to the story that's what everyone probably knows if you've been to like a Sunday school, like this is the story that we know of David's life. So uh, we see the story of David being asked to go deliver some food to his brothers. They're out to battle with the Philistines. And so he goes out, he goes out looking for his brothers. Uh, and I love what we see when we see David enter into this camp. You know, he's showing up with these loaves of bread. He's showing up as a lowly servant. He's showing up to serve, right? Um, as a humble servant, I should say. There's, there's no glory in, in delivering bread, right? Like, I know I used to work at Subway. I've been there. There's, there's no glory in that at all. But what God calls him to do in that moment is so far out of the character for David. Like, David is this lowly shepherd, but when, when David arrives on that hill, he finds there's no battle going on. Uh, there's just this one Philistine warrior who's sort of entered into the valley down there, uh, this, this giant man named Goliath. Uh, and each day Goliath has walked out for 40 days. He's walked out into this valley and he's called out uh, to the mountaintops uh, and said, hey, he's, he's shouting all these insults at King Saul and his army for 40 days straight. He's insulted and for 40 days he challenges the opposition and he's calling them out. He's saying, let's do this one-on-one -on -one battle. It was traditional for that time I and mean, this happens. He said, you know, one-on-one -on -one battle, send down your greatest warrior and, and if I defeat him, uh, you guys serve me, and if, if he defeats me, we'll serve you. Um, and a little tidbit, I don't know if you guys know this, uh, I, th I found this when I was studying, so uh, Goliath, he's this Philistine soldier, right? Uh, he couldn't quit talking, like he just jabbered on and on and on, uh, and that's actually, because he's a Philistine soldier, that's where we get the term filibuster from. That's not true at all, actually, I made that up, but it made a lot of sense as I was reading through this, he's like totally doing a filibuster down there. Um, so David's not, in, he's not intimidated like this. Like a lot of people are up on there shaking, shaking on top of those hills, but David's not intimidated by it. Uh, he's actually just offended. I mean, this guy's going out there. Uh, he's cursing the name of God. He declares, David declares, I'm ready to fight. I'll go take this guy on. What's going on? Um, but let's think about this for a moment from Saul's perspective. Uh, King Saul's up on top of that hill, and every day he shows up, uh, and every day, every morning, he shows up, and who's there? It's Goliath. He's down there. He's talking crap again. This, this problem's not going away at all. Like, 
This, this is here to stay. Someone has to deal with this. So he's up in the ante for all the soldiers around him. He's saying, hey, if someone will just go take care of this guy, you can have one of my daughters. I will give you so much money. Like, you won't even have to pay taxes again, um, which, <laughs> what a great bribe. Uh, I mean, he, he's trying anything you can get. He's like, just go take care of this guy, and, and I'll take care of you. Um, and you know, a lot of times before I come out onto the stage, uh, and I don't care if I'm talking to 10, 12-year-olds like I usually am, or if I'm talking to each and every one of you guys here today, sometimes I get really shook. Like, I'll forget my name. I'll forget, like, anything I had to say, and I'll, I will literally be, like, physically shaken. I'll be a little bit of a wreck for a second, but I've learned that there's this little prayer I can do. Like, I shuffle off to the side. I did it here, sitting here this morning, um, and I do this little prayer. I run through it every time. And it's essentially just me praying and thanking and saying what a beautiful thing it is to be anointed with the strength, the wisdom, the courage of the Father. And, and through that, like, my hands can steady. I can walk onto the stage. I can at least jabber on for a little bit. Um, and that helps me out a ton. I feel my hands steady, and, and I'm ready to roll. And uh, even this Friday, I was, I was frantically trying to write out this message. I was working through it. I didn't think I quite had it dialed in yet. I mean, I was working on this till 2 a.m. last night. Like, I rewrote my entire, my entire finish. So we'll see. I might have been just in a, in a haze. It might not make any sense when we get there. But I was trying to find words of wisdom. So I, I flipped open my Bible. And this is the same Bible I've had for a long time. I just had to redo the cover of it recently. Um, and I found this line that I had underlined from Exodus. I mean, I just flipped it open to a random page, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this too, but it was this, it was this beautiful line in Exodus chapter 4, verse 12, and it reads, Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. And what a beautiful promise that is. I mean, it's a reminder that to have faith that we're not alone in these things, right? And, and I think a similar thing happened to David on that day. I think when I think about David, I think he's this great warrior. There's like some words that come to mind, like warrior, humble, courageous. And I don't know if courageous is actually that true, but that's the lesson I was taught about him. I don't think he's particularly that courageous, honestly. Um, what, I think he, what I think it is, is I think he knows that God is with him. I, I think he knows that God will meet him in his shortcomings, right? Uh, that God will deliver him through his downfalls. I think that David's strength doesn't lie within his courage. I think it lies within his faith. And, and we're told that, you know, with the faith of a mustard seed, we can move a mountain. And as I'm thinking about this from David's perspective, I'm imagining him up on top of that mountain, looking down on Goliath, and at Goliath at nine feet tall. Uh, yeah, there we go. Perfect. Yeah, there's Hulk Hogan. Yeah, uh, there's Goliath down there at nine feet tall. I can still imagine that even from up there, Goliath looks a whole lot smaller than a mountain, right? Um, so I think the strength comes from his, his faith. So David is ready, and, I th- and what we see here is, is when God has called him up to bat, and I think we can experience this in our own lives as well, I know I have, that when God has called us up to bat for things, that's when we feel the, the presence of the enemy the most. Um, you know, God set David aside. He's put in the work in him. He's, he's, he's put in the hours, but... Uh, we see the enemy still show up to this camp in a few different ways. Uh, we see Eliab's at this camp and his older brother, and, and he, uh, he tries to sow these seeds of jealousy within David. Like, he's, he's saying, like, you know, uh, I think his jealousy wasn't, he should have been anointed by God, right? Um, 
he should have been the one that inherited God's blessing. I mean, he's the oldest son. It would make sense. Uh, but he, he tries to stop David. He tries to call him out. He tries to label David. He says, hey, man, just go back to the sheep. That's where you belong, right? You're with the sheep. Um, because I think when God's doing great things through people, when he's doing great things through you, when he's making moves through you, people can feel that. Um, and people, sometimes they can fear that a little bit. Next, we see the enemy try to sow these seeds of doubt through Saul's words even. Uh, King Saul, uh, he's telling David, you're not meant for this man. Uh, anyone but you, you're too young. It says in the Bible, he calls him youth. Uh, and a lot is at stake here. I don't blame Saul for this. A lot is at stake when we're looking at this. I mean, uh, you think about the, the stakes that, the, that Goliath is down there setting. He's saying, if you guys lose this battle, you guys will serve us. And, and David tries to assure him. He says, hey, man, I, I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. Like, I've taken care of my sheep all these years. Like, I can take care of this guy. Don't worry about it, man. I've got it. And, and when, I, when I read through this, sometimes I forget that David, going into this battle, he has this distinct advantage, right? Uh, David knows he's not going down there to fight by Goliath's rules. Like, he's, he's bringing his own tactics to this battle. And as Saul tries to give him his sword and his shield, uh, and I, again, as I was placing myself in David's position, as I was reading through this, I was thinking, you know, he's this lowly shepherd, and he's offered the king's sword and shield. He tries it out. He's like, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to miss that opportunity. It's like when you go to a car lot and you try a car that's way outside of your range. You're like, yeah, might as well. You know, they're going to let me drive this Tesla. I'm going for it. Anyways, uh, so he's trying this stuff on. He's running around. He's, he's having a good time, but he says, hey, this isn't for me, right? Like, this stuff doesn't fit me. Uh, this is not how it's going to go down. I got to be down there. I got to be quick on my feet. I mean, David knows that he's not going to give Goliath the battle that he wants. Goliath, with over 200 pounds of armor and weapons on him, uh, he's expecting this close combat battle, right? But David knows he's got this ace up its sleeve. And when I see David, he approaches Saul. I'm, I'm thinking about this and I'm reading through the story. Uh, it's easy to get lost in the words that David is saying. Because when I read it, when I'm seeing him say, you know, I've got this man, I killed a bear, I killed a lion, I'm kind of reading that in my own arrogant voice. I'm kind of seeing this as like him kind of bragging a little bit. I'm, I'm seeing David say, I can take this on, man. I've got this in the bag. But I think what he's actually saying, I think he's actually trying to display some humility here. I think he's being humble. I think that's David's prerogative at this time. Uh, because I think that David recognizes that God is with him, that, that he doesn't need the sword and the shield because he's already, he's already wearing the shield of faith. He's already taken up the sword of the Spirit, right? He recognizes that through God, he's already done extraordinary things, and that through God, he will deliver this nation. He's not glorifying his actions. He's not saying, I'm this great warrior, right? He's not. Uh, he's saying that, he's not even saying that I've got this. He's saying that through God, we've got this. And so when I reframed that, this story made a lot more sense to me. But you see, David, this lowly shepherd, he spent his entire life taking care of this flock of sheep, right? And with that, he's protecting this flock with his uh, sling. And he's, he's, put in the, he's put in the time, he's put in the, the moments preparing for this, right? Uh, he's, he's put in the man hours, the years, his entire life up until this point. Although it's a short one, I think he might have been 15 to 17 years old when this was happening. But... Uh, he, he's put in the time with this sling. He's mastered it uh, so he can protect his flock. Uh, so when God puts this opportunity in his life, he's ready to seize it. 
He's already put in the work. Uh, and there's a good chance that no one standing on either side of that valley that morning uh, would have been surprised that David won that fight. Uh, he, you know, he's using the sling. He's got, he's got uh, advantage over Goliath in, in, a, in just a purely physical way. So, you know, an expert slinger could knock a bird from the air. Or from 200 yards away, it could kill an opponent. So, like, when we're looking at this from just, like, a practical standpoint, he's going at this target who's already wearing 200 pounds of armor and shield, as I said, uh, and armor and weapons. This guy's not going anywhere. He's a, he's a sitting target, right? So he has this advantage over him in that way. And everyone, including Saul, expected him. I mean, Saul offered him his sword and shield. Everyone expected him to go down there and go for this hand-to-hand combat. And I don't want to diminish the story of triumph, right? Because it is a beautiful story of triumph. Um, but this story isn't a triumph of technique, I believe. And David sums that really up really well in 1 Samuel 17, verse 47. And I decided to test myself today and not mark any of the things that I'm reading, so bear with me. Okay. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spirit, the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. I'm going to skip over the Sunday school part, and the, or the part that we skip over in Sunday school with the whole beheading and the cutting off of the tongue and stuff. Like, we're going we're gonna to get past that. You can read it for yourself. You can have all the visual imagery. It's, it's brutal. Like, it's, it's a brutal description. Uh, also, he, I, don't, I'm, I didn't write this down, but he, he goes around toting that head around for a while. Like, it says, like, uh, Saul calls him later, like, a few days later, like, to come to his kingdom, and, and, and David shows up still holding the head. Like, I don't know. He was, he was into it. Uh, <laughs> but David, he makes quick work of Goliath, right? And uh, with that, he started this journey that, that God has put him on, um, and following David's vanquish of Goliath, he, he sets out on this journey. And Saul starts uh, sending him out on these missions, right? These military missions. And, and David's so successful in these, he keeps just bumping him up the ranks of his army. Uh, he keeps just moving him up. And David keeps rising with his rank. He keeps rising in popularity. The, the, the people around him are starting to love him so much, they start singing this song every time he comes around, right? Like they're singing this song. It's from 1 Samuel 18. Verse 6, it says, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Which isn't that catchy of a song, honestly. But um, have you guys ever actually looked up the song? Because I, I was like, maybe I'll play that song. Like, maybe, you know, and I played it. It's not, it's not catchy. Uh, and, and boy, that got under Saul's skin, right? Uh, he says, what does he have to gain but my kingdom? Like, he, he sees this as David's coming for the throne, right? And that, I think that's another lie that the enemy uses. It's another way that he shows up in this story is he says, you know, there's only room for one, that God's blessings are limited, that if, if God's doing good in someone's life, that he's got to be borrowing that good from my life to give it to him. And I've fell trapped to that for sure. Um, when in all actuality, Saul is the only one stealing away his own joy, right? I mean, people are literally out there. They're singing his name. They're singing his praise. They're singing what's going on in Saul's life. But all he hears is what's going on in David's life. All he only hears the part about David. He doesn't hear the part where they're literally singing about him. And I think it's important for us to ask ourselves, you know, uh, are, we, are we denying ourselves the joy of our lives by, uh, in contentment by, uh, by comparing our lives rather than trying to just sit back and enjoy it? And I think that's, that's the lie of envy in our lives. I think when we look at envy, we think about it often as like 
being jealous of what someone else has, but I think that's just where envy starts to creep in. I think where it really sinks its teeth in is when it, uh, when it makes us forget what we already have. And this is where it all started to go downhill for Saul. Saul, uh, his, his, his greed, his envy, everything, is taking, his fears, insecurities has taken hold of him. As the kids would say, uh, Saul didn't want to see David shine. Like he was, he was against this guy, right? And when we read back in 1 Samuel 9, I don't have the verse for you, but uh, we see this description of Saul. He's this handsome guy. He stands a head and shoulder above everyone uh, around him. He was built in stature. He was this great military leader. He was, he was, this, he was this guy that, you know, he, he was fit for a king. Uh, and many argue, in fact, that he should have been the one that went down into that valley and fought Goliath on that day. And we read later on in, in chapter 18 that, uh, that Saul begins to, to fear David. And, and again, as I'm reading through this, I'm try, I keep trying to place myself in this story, keep trying to find how it connects to me, keep trying to find the truth for it in my life. And as I'm reading through this, I'm thinking, is he afraid of, is he afraid of David because he's this great warrior who slayed Goliath? And I don't think that's it. No, I don't believe that's the reason why uh, Saul is afraid of uh, David. I think the reason that we see is that we read through in 1 Samuel, we see all these examples of, of God making changes in Saul's heart early on, and we see that the Spirit of the Lord was with Saul at one point, but it says very specifically that the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul at this point. And I think he sees that within David. He sees the Spirit of the Lord within David, and, and that, that scares him, man. That that feeling of power that's greater than his own, that's, that's terrifying for him, right? I mean, in Matthew 5, it says, a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. And this, this power that lied within David, it could not be hidden from Saul. Uh, Saul could feel that. He felt threatened by it. And, and listen, there's, there's a lot to make it through in this story. So I'm going I'm to keep skipping over some important things here. I mean, there's this whole story about Saul... Uh, trying to give a daughter to David to get him to trip up. And there's this whole weird part about, like, collecting. He has to go out and get Philistine foreskins to pay for his daughter. And, and I, the, the Bible doesn't mess around, guys. Like, I was, I was at a coffee shop. I, okay, so I do a lot of, like, audio transcription for these sort of things. So, you know, I'm speaking to my phone, and I'm, and I'm making these notes uh, just so I don't have to write everything down. I have terrible handwriting. And so I'm, I'm at this coffee shop, and I'm, like, whispering about counting out foreskins to my phone, and I feel so weird. Like, it was, it was strange. But anyways, so, uh, so David sent out, and, and I think we, we see this change of pace in him when he actually is giving these orders because, uh, you know, he, he, he's a man who likes to put in the work, and he gets excited about this. He's like, yeah, you're giving me the opportunity to earn this thing? Okay, I'm here for it. And, and the thing that we see is he, he, he kind of over... Uh, he under-promises and he over-delivers. He comes back with 200 foreskins. Uh, and so, anyways, uh, but Saul, Saul still has it out for David even after all of this. Uh, his son, Jonathan, he's trying to talk some sense into him. Uh, he says, hey, listen, you know, this guy's laid down his life for you. He, he, he put down his, his, uh, his own life for you when he went out there and faced Goliath. Like, he could have been killed, and, and he's blameless in these ways, and still you have it out for him. Why are you trying to kill him? And, and Saul takes an oath right then and there. He's like, all right, you're right. Uh, surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So that's that. 
then pretty much right after that, he throws that whole oath out the window and starts trying to kill him. And I think the thing that we see really consistently throughout the rest of 1 Samuel is that Saul is really, really terrible at throwing spears. Like, he's missing everyone with spears. Like, it's pretty embarrassing. Um, but David still gets the message. He gets a couple spears thrown at him. He dodges them. He still gets the message. They're like, all right, I'm not welcome here anymore. And it begins this cat and mouse chase that lasts for like seven years where Saul, Saul's sending men into the deserts and into caves, and he's trying to find David. And David seems to always be just like one step ahead of his men uh, until one day David's hiding out in this cave. And who happens upon it but Saul himself you know, David and his men are in this cave. Saul comes up. It says he's relieving himself. You can use your imagination. Um, but he says, uh, you know, David has this decision to make in that moment because he's in this very vulnerable position. And he's reminded of this message, David is, that, uh, that was given to him. He says, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. That lo- the Lord put that message on David. So the choice is in David's hands right here. Uh, he could have struck down this man that's been delivered to him, right? Uh, who, this man who's chased him through deserts, through, through valleys. And think about David's life at this point. I mean, he was sleeping in pastures. Then he got to sleep in kingdoms. You know, he was like sleeping in the castle. Now he's reduced to sleeping in caves. Like, life's not going so great for him at this moment, and, and it's King Saul's fault. He's done nothing wrong, and this guy's coming after him to kill him. And, and so David has him dead to rights right there. He can take care of him, right? And David, he, he creeps up and he cuts off this little corner of Saul's, of Saul's robe. Um, and, and in that moment, he feels wrecked by that. You know, he's, he's laid his hands on the one that God has chosen. And, and it, it totally wrecks his conscience. Like, he tells his men, like, hey, don't lay a hand on Saul. Don't lay a hand on his men. Even though we could kill him so easily right now. And, and he, he goes out and he calls out to Saul. He says, hey, man, look, I've got a piece of your robe right here. I could have killed you. I could have taken you out just now, but I decided not to. You know, the Lord, even the people around me, they were urging me, take him out, take him out. But David calls him master. He humbles himself before Saul. He, he you know, he says, you know, you're my master. And in these, these words, they move Saul. Like, he's moved to tears. And he declares that David will be king and that he will not harm him. But, of course, again, that's not the last that we see of Saul. He's not, he's not over it yet. He still keeps pursuing David, and, and, uh, and once again, Saul's delivered into David's hands. Here's another opportunity. Da- uh, Saul, uh, David goes down into his camp, and he finds Saul asleep on the ground, and he's standing above him. He's got a spear in his hand, and I don't know, I don't know how many of you guys showed up today like I did when I was reading through this message that need to hear that just because there's an opportunity doesn't mean that God placed it in your life. And, and so as I'm reading through this, we, we see that David has spared Saul once more. And, uh, and he gives this beautiful message to Saul when he comes around to it. He says, you know, if the, Lord is inc- if the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. David's saying, hey, if it's the Lord's will that I should be killed, like, kill me, take me out. Uh, but if it's the people that have done it, then may the Lord curse you. And if you've been a part of this church, or any church for that matter, for any, any point in time, if you've ever been to Sunday school, you've probably heard a message about David and Goliath, right? And it's probably David's story, for the most part, isn't new to any of you guys, or, or most of you guys. And there's, there's two themes that usually exist within a story about David, and specifically a story about David and Goliath. Uh, the first one is, is the courage to face our giants. And I really love that message. I listened to a lot of them as I was prepping the sermon. I really like 
the story of, you know, have the courage to face our giants. God's with us. I love that. And the second one usually is about God's timing, trusting in God's timing. And I love this message too, and, and I get it, and on the surface I understand it, but as I'm reading through this, I'm thinking, you know, uh, David knows that Saul is going to be delivered into his hands. He's been told that Saul is going to be delivered into his hands, and yet time and time again, seemingly, Saul is delivered into David's hands. And as I'm reading through this, I'm thinking, David keeps showing mercy. David keeps showing mercy time and time again, and the thing that confuses me even more so is that he's proclaiming that by showing mercy, he's trusting in God's timing. And it just doesn't make sense to me, because I'm thinking, how can he be delivered more into your hands? Like, how can he be delivered any further? Does, does the Lord need to drive that spear for you? That's, that's the way that I'm thinking about this story. And how is that not God's timing? You know, God has given you this moment. God's given you this man here right now. And, and he even says in the Bible that he's driven into a deep slumber. So he didn't even hear, I mean, he's snoring. He doesn't even hear David walk upon him. And that leaves something to be said about God's timing. And, I, you know, I struggled with this as I was writing this. I was thinking about it for a long time. Uh, and, and what I came to is, though, though he put something good in your life, though he puts an opportunity in your life, it doesn't mean that he's done preparing you for it. It doesn't mean that you've put in the work and that you've, you're ready for it yet. I mean, imagine if David had crested that hill a few years earlier with a few less lions and bears under his belt. That, that showdown versus Goliath would have probably went a lot different, right? I mean... Hulk Hogan, we're going to come back to Hulk Hogan for a second. He used to refer to his 24-inch biceps as his pythons. And while I don't care to debate the, the use or the merit of steroids, uh, you don't get that size by without putting in work. And I'm not talking about a couple days in the gym. I'm talking about years. Just putting in work and, and getting your body in a peak physical conditioning, which he needed because he was lifting up this guy that was 500 pounds. And Hulk said that when he lifted up Andre the Giant over his head, he felt his muscles tear. And he actually tore both of his biceps while lifting Andre. And, I mean, he put in the work. Uh, and if you don't believe me, I can send you this really beautiful video I found on YouTube of him doing squats with Mr. T on his back. Like, Mr. T is on his back. He's, doing, he's wearing him like a backpack, and he's doing squats. It'll bring a tear to your eyes, I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> And on that, yeah, again, on that fateful day in 1987, he had put in the time, he had put in the years, he had put in the work, and yet he's driven to his absolute physical limit and then some. And as I'm writing this, I was pondering uh, an expression that I heard recently, which is, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And I think the same can be said about God's timing. I think we see that in David's story, that, uh, that God's timing was when preparation met the opportunity, and uh, I'm going to get into some final thoughts here, but, uh, you know, you may have the opportunity, but that doesn't mean that God has finished putting in the work with you, <sighs> but when the factors meet up as they did on that day with, the, with David and Goliath or with Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan, uh, the Lord does provide, and as Proverbs chapter 20 verse 4 reads, those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food for the harvest. I know that's kind of a negative-sounding message, um, but really I think it's, it's, a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful reminder that we do have to put in the work. If we want to expect these things back from God, well, he's expecting us to put in some work for it. David spends the time plowing, right? 
I mean, even think about, like, this is where I got into last night. I was thinking, I'm going to scrap this whole story. I'm going to talk about Noah. He put in the work. He put in 55 to 75 years, as estimated, that he put in building this, this ark faithfully, right? And, and I just want to finish by saying it, it's, it's tough, like, putting in the time, putting in the work. Um, it's, it's not an, an easy message to hear. It's not an easy thing for us to do. Like, it, by definition, it's difficult. But but God rewards the work. Often we think we've missed out on an opportunity because it doesn't look like what we had anticipated it looking like in the first place, what we had been working for. We think we've missed it because it didn't show up. But in all actuality, God's put his opportunity before us. And seldom does it look like what we had imagined ourselves, right? I don't think David imagined that the way that God's anointing was going to pay off was that he was going to slay Goliath, right? And even if we cannot see that, we can find comfort in Colossians chapter 3, verse 24, as it reads, Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. All right, join me in prayer. <clears throat> Dear Father, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for meeting us in the work. I just want to thank you for, for just joining us in, in, in these moments where, <clears throat> where we feel like we, we, we're alone, where we feel like we haven't put in the time, where we feel like we haven't put in the preparation. And when that opportunity comes along, Lord, we know that you are with us, Lord. We know that we are serving in your name. I just ask that you keep reminding us as we're grinding, as we're putting in the work, Lord, that you are with us and that we are working for something larger <laughs> than what we can ever imagine, Lord, that you've set us aside to do such great things, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.